virtue will flow into us. And, Lord, we ask you to do that, Lord. We are not interested in anything else, Lord. We are interested in, in the living Word of God, the living God, the God who is alive and real now, Lord Jesus. Lord, we bless you this morning. We worship you. and We reach out to you. Let's reach our hands out to the Lord just in faith. Lord, we want to just reach out and touch you, Lord. And, and Lord, we know this is a spiritual thing. We're just showing a natural a sign and a natural, but it's something in the Spirit. Our hearts reach out to you, Lord. We reach out to you, Lord, to connect with you. And receive from you, Lord, real life, Lord. As we touch you, Lord, we have touched life, Lord Jesus. We thank you for that, Lord. We bless you for your life. Amen. Why don't you open your Bibles to uh, Nehemiah. Not Nehemiah. Doggone it. Wrong wrong class. (laughs) That's another class, Nehemiah. Philippians. Nehemiah's good too, though. I'll tell you that. There's a lot of good stuff in there. Philippians chapter 4. Um, thank you, Lord. Um, here's, you know, I've been really asking the Lord for this message for a long while, several months. I asked the Lord to, to give me a message about finances. And, you know, most messages in the churches about finances are centered around uh a giving, which is really important, and I think that's an excellent message. But I was really asking the Lord for just a little bit different, different approach to finances, and I um, didn't get an answer until recently. Uh, but Philippians four, if you look at Philippians four, Philippians chapter four is about money, even though it doesn't appear to be as such at the first look. Um, but it is. That's the context of Philippians chapter four is, is money. And so I want to talk to you about money this morning. I know, you know, you read all these statistics that in, you know, preacher magazines about, you know, people don't like the church because they talk about money. But, you know, that's just too bad. That's the way I feel about it. It's just flat too bad if people don't like that because, really, it's in the Bible. And we really need to talk about what's in the Bible. Is that right? And if, if people don't like it, well, they need to decide that the Bible, you know, are we going to adjust ourselves to the Bible or are we trying to make God adjust himself to us? Now, I believe we're living in difficult times financially, and I believe it could get worse. In fact, the Bible indicates that it will get worse before it gets better. Um, so we need spiritual answers to our financial problems. That's, that's what I'm talking about, spiritual answers to financial problems. And I believe if we can build our finances on what the Bible says instead of what the world says, then we'll be, be safe um, when it comes to our money. Are you with me? Uh, and I believe in the Philippians 4, it really not only tells us, it gives us insights into what we should do about our money, but it also tells us how to do it. Okay? Um, and that's really what I want to uh, just, I'm going to just read, start in verse 1. I've got 10 points. Okay? <laughs> 10 points. And that's not all of them, but these are 10 good ones, and I'll talk about some more, some less. I'm not going to you know, it's not, don't worry, this ain't going to be some long, drawn-out deal. Uh, so let's just start. Amen? Are y'all with me? Uh, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. Point number one, stand fast in the Lord. Okay? Before, before, the, Paul, before the Paul, before Paul begins to instruct the church about money, he really... Uh, Reminds them how we can do it. 
how we can handle our money, how we can, how we can uh, you know, properly manage our finances. And I think that's real important because I believe, this is my belief, I believe the church is really good at telling people what to do. You hear what I'm saying? We are really good at explaining things in the Bible like, you know, prayer and like Bible study. You know, we are good at that. We, people know what they're supposed to do. That People know where they're wrong. They know where they're right. They know what they're supposed to do. The problem, and this creates such, there's so many desperate, frustrated people out there because in their hearts they know they're off from what the Word of God says, but they don't know how to, how to do what it says. Okay, are you with me? And so before Paul says, before I tell you what you must do, what you should do, I'm going to tell you how to do it. That's what we need to hear. We need to hear messages on how do I handle my money financially. You're going to tell me what to do. There are certain principles, but I need to know how. There's got to be something in me. And that's really, and the how is Christ. That's what he said. He said, stand fast in the Lord. Stand fast in the Lord. Okay? And, and let me tell you what that means. It, it means this. This is simple. This is simple. It means living in total dependence on the Holy Spirit. Not depending on your flesh in any way. Are you with me on that? That's what it means. This is, it's as simple as that. It's where we depend on God. We don't depend on ourselves. You hear that? I mean, that's the good news. That, in fact, that's what grace living is all about. It's, in other words, I've got ten points here. Don't be some maniac thinking you can remember all ten of those points and you can apply those ten points. What are you going to do when you get out there in your, in your life? Oh, I forgot the, the last point. Blows everything. You see what I'm saying? That's how we think. Well, we get these ten points and we'll do each one of these exactly right. We'll be Okay. But the problem is, the Bible's so full of stuff. I mean, this is ten out of probably thousands of things that the Bible says about money. You see, it's not about our ability to remember and follow certain rules and principles. I don't believe that. I believe it's about depending on Christ, depending on the Spirit of God in you to lead you, to guide you, to speak to your heart. And that's the first thing Paul said to these folks before he said anything. Stay in Christ. Stand fast in the Lord Jesus. And we really need, that's really what we need to uh, remember if we don't remember anything else from this, this message about money. If you'll stand fast in Christ, your money's going to be okay. If you will be led by the Spirit, you're going to be fine financially because He knows. The Holy Spirit knows. He, he says in verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we're finding out in the world that uh, things get... Things come and go. Major corporations that you never thought would go are going. You know, because God is blowing on things. God is shaking things in the earth. And everything that is not of God that can be shaken will be shaken. That's the truth. Listen to what it says in Isaiah 40, verse 6 and 7. It says, all flesh is grass. Did, I, did you know that's what you are? You are grass. That's what the Bible says. And all its loveliness is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, because the breath of the Lord blows upon it. And I believe God's breath will blow upon the economies of the world. God's breath will, will blow upon my personal economy. God's breath will blow upon churches. Churches fold because God blows on them. 
and it, they find out all they built was, was man. It was what man did. It wasn't what God did. And I think we'll come, I think we'll come a, a day in America where we will see churches that we never dreamed. We will see them implode. They will collapse because God goes, let's see what's left standing when I finish blowing on you. And when God blows on my life, and this is what I'm learning. I'm learning this the hard way. This is painful. God does blow. And whatever you build apart from Him, it is painful when it comes down. And I've come to a place in my life where I've said, Lord, I can't take the pain anymore. I just can't take this. Every time you blow, I see all these things get blown out of my life. Are you, are you hearing what I'm saying to you? And we really need to build our finances on the Lord Himself. If we build them on just principles of the world and what economists say and what people say, we are making a mistake that is going to be critically, it's going to cost us. So it's really important that we build in Christ. Whatever you do, you build in Christ. That's the only thing that's going to stand because God, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. Get that in your heart. Not only about your finances, but every area of your life. Think about what you're doing. Think about your ministry. Think about your calling. Think about your, is it you or is it God? Because the time will tell it and it's not worth, it is not worth God coming shaken and things in your life fall apart. I remember one time, you know, it was like God shook. I was the first thing that fell out of the tree. <laughs> That's been a story of my life. That's why I felt like, man, every time God comes and shakes and blows, I fall out. It's because I haven't really abided in Him. I really haven't been connected to Him and trusted Him with my life. And everything that I built was just flesh. It was worthless. So why do it? You understand what I'm saying to you? Let's get that heart in, in us personally in our families. Let's get that heart in us with the church. Lord, we don't want to build anything that you're not building. We don't want to do anything that you're not doing. You know, Paul says uh, he was a wise master builder. That's what Paul said about himself. I'm thinking, Lord, I'm not wise, I'm not a master, and I'm not a builder. Help, God! That's the way it makes me feel. Help! We need you, Lord! We don't need to do what we've always done and expect it to work and expect it to stand. Especially in these days. So we've got to depend on the Holy Spirit. Amen? So that's the how. Okay? That's the first and that's the one I have the most passion about, actually. But I got that the hard way. Number, verse 2. Number 2. I implore, implore, I implore you, dear, and I implore Cynthia, she, I guess that's how you say that, to be of this, huh? Sentiki, all right. I implore you and Sentiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. Point number two: be in unity. Okay, those you are financially connected with, be it husband and wife, be it business partner, you need to have. They don't have to be exactly the same. You need to have the sort of the same vision, the same goals financially. In other words. Um, if you, as a husband, feel like, well, I'm satisfied the house I live in and the possessions I have, but you, as his wife, want two times as much, you've got problems. You hear what I'm saying? You've got problems. There needs to be a unity in your home around what your financial goals are. Uh, you don't need to be spending money. This happens a lot. You don't need to be out spending money and hiding it from your spouse. That's disunity. You're one. There needs to be unity. If you're... <laughs> she ain't right. Anyways, um, 
If you're single, if you're single, you don't need to be double-minded about your finances. If you're just a person out working for a company, you're not in business with somebody, in your heart, you need to come up with some sort of uh, standard that you feel like God's called you to live to. You need to have some sort of budget. And you don't need to break that thing when you see something you, you desire and want that you really can't afford. You see what I'm saying? That's disunity. So we need to be in unity. If you are unequally yoked with bus- in business, you need to, if you can get out of that, by God's grace, get out of it. Don't be, un- even if it's a brother in the Lord or a sister in the Lord, yet they have this, they're greedy or they have unscrupulous financial practices. You, need, you don't need to be connected to stuff like that. Plainly the Bible. Be in unity. Y'all with me? All right, number, verse 3. This is the one everybody loves. And I urge you also, true companion, help those women who labored with me in the gospel. With Clement also and the rest of my fellow workers whose name are in the book of life. Number three, be a giver. Be a giver. Let's just hold your place there in Philippians. Let's look at Acts. See, here's what happens in hard times. People quit giving. Uh, if you read, again, you read Preacher Magazines, the, the woe is, is how much since 9-11 people have quit giving in the church. That's right. That's, that's the, the, the program, is people have given up, people quit giving uh, because they're scared. And, you know, we went, the, I think God tested us three years ago, uh, tested the church, tested America when the Y2K came, thing came. You know, nothing really happened, but I believe it was a test from the Lord to see what our heart reaction was when we were threatened economically. And we're being threatened economically again. We've been threatened economically again. I believe we're failing the test because we have this tendency when we look out and, and see bleak things coming to withdraw ourselves and begin to bring, you know, hold our money and begin to hoard. That's what happened. And Christians were the worst, the absolute worst when the Y2K thing. They were the absolute worst about being afraid and, ho- and having this hoarding mentality. And it's a shame. And uh, it was a test from the Lord that we failed, and God's given us another test right now, letting us take it again. But look, this is my favorite verses in the Bible when it concerns, you know, um, giving in difficult times. Uh, Acts 11, verse 27, it says, In those days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout all the world. I mean, all the world which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar. So it really happened, uh, you know, if the Lord said it was going to happen. Then the disciples each, according to his ability to determine, determine to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. So you see in, in the Bible when there was a threat, they were threatened by famine. What was their response? Their response was, was to give. You see, and that's where I believe we go wrong. Our response is to hold. And that's wrong. That's just wrong. And if you have that attitude, you really need that. To, well, here's what's the problem is. You have that attitude, you're not depending on the Lord. You're depending on your finances. You're depending on your bank account. And you're depending on something that's going to drop you like a bad habit and hurt you eventually. Because it will, you know, it's going to get shook. And I think a safety is... Okay, Lord, there's bad times coming. The first thing on my... This is the truth. The first thing on your budget should be your giving to the Lord. That should be the absolute first thing. And the last thing that should go... This is... The last thing that should go is be your giving. 
In other words, you should stop giving the day you have nothing else to give. The day you have no job, the day you have no income, the day you have given. I have nothing else to give, God. There's nothing for me to give. Then you can quit giving. I, but I believe if you really are building your life on spiritual principles, you'll never get to that point. Because God's going to take care of you. He's promised us that. Are you with me? And this is not, oh, you know, one of these deals trying to manipulate you to get you to give to the church. I'm just telling you, this is the truth. And you can either accept the truth or be offended by the truth. But it's still the truth no matter how you feel about it. It's still the truth. Are, are you with me on that? And we really need to ask ourselves when it comes to, to uh, are we, have, because of fear, have we drawn back? And if you have, don't do stuff out of fear. That's the worst reason in the world. That's, that's craziness. Go back to Philippians. We'll go on to point number four. Y'all with me? This is in, some of this stuff seems almost impossible. Number, the fourth point is totally impossible in the flesh to do. Okay, that's why Paul says stand fast in the Lord, because you cannot do this. Fourth point, rejoice in the Lord always. I, again, I will say rejoice. Okay, the fourth point is what we need to do no matter what happens with the economy or anything else. In words, we need to have rejoicing hearts. Now, rejoice in the Greek means to be calmly happy or well off. To be calmly happy or well off. All right, when in the natural, just our natural man, when you begin to struggle financially, what happens to you? Are you calmly, happily, and well off? Absolutely not. You get depressed, right? A depression sets on you. You get frustrated. Remember in the stock market crash of the 20s, people jumped out of windows because they were financially ruined. They killed themselves over money or their loss of money. But this whole book of Philippians tells us that true joy is not found in outward conditions. Okay, that's what, it, that's what the Bible teaches us, that real joy is found within us. And if we are, and we can really check ourselves, am I finding my life in the Lord? Am I finding my source of joy in the Lord, or am I finding it in the things that I have, the money I have, or don't have? That's a good test, because what will happen to you when you lose your money, when you have less, you're going to get bummed out. You see what I'm saying? So we really need to ask ourselves, because really, here's Paul saying, rejoice, rejoice. Be calmly happy and well off. And folks, we all know this. A lot of people who have a lot of stuff, they're, some, they're, they're empty people also there. They're people with holes in their heart. They're unhappy. And they may have everything this world has to offer. But they're still unhappy. They're still unfulfilled and, and down inside. They still have this hole in their heart they're trying to fill. And money will not fill that hole. So if we've been seeking security or happiness and how much money we have, um, that may be a good reason why you don't have much. You see what I'm saying? Because we're seeking security and happiness in something, and God is saying to us, I'm not going to give you security and happiness in that. Because one day that will be taken away from everybody. So why should I allow you to get secure and happy in that now? Now, that doesn't mean God doesn't want to give people a lot of money. I'm just saying some of us can't handle it because we begin to depend on it and begin to lean on it. So we need to be able to rejoice no matter whether we have it or don't have it. I guess that's really what we've got to come down to. Again, that's something only you can do if, if you're walking in the Spirit. You can't do it if you're walking in the flesh. It's impossible. I find it to be totally impossible. I find myself to be very carnal and natural in my flesh. When I don't have what I want, my flesh hates it. But if I'm walking in the Spirit, if I'm letting the Spirit of Christ live and speak to me, it'd be nice to turn that thermostat. It's cold in here. I'm cold up here. 
And y'all just sitting there. So, y'all with me on that? All right, number five. Uh, it says, let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. All right, that word gentleness can be translated also graciousness, also moderation. Let your moderation, that's what we're going to say. Let, now is not a time to be frivolous with your money. Now's the time to be moderate with your money. Now's the time to really, when, about making major purchases or major investments, you really need to really ask the Lord about those things and not just be, you know, jumping off the, off the hand. We need to be moderate. We need to ask the Lord. We need to make sure we got the mind of the Lord on, on what we're doing right now with our money. And I'll also say this. We need the mind of the Lord on what we're doing with our money on a daily basis. Okay, let's be real practical. Do you go out to eat excessively? Do you know how much money you can save by... I'm just being real practical with you, okay? I like to go out to eat, but I've realized if I can start cutting back on going out to eat, I can save a lot of money because I can fix a hamburger at home a lot cheaper than I can buy a hamburger in the store, the, 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 you know, the fast food restaurant. Now, I'm not suggesting we shouldn't go out to eat, but I'm just saying we need to really start looking at our lifestyle and asking ourselves these questions. Do you hear what I'm saying to you? Now, this is as practical and as, 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 as it can be. You can start looking at the grocery stores you shop at. Lord, am I, am I shopping at the store that, where I can save the most money? Or do I have to go because it's the fanciest grocery store and it looks pretty and nice and that's where I want to be? We don't need to be thinking in those terms. We really do not need to be doing that. You know, and I like to buy my clothes at certain stores, and I could probably spend a, a mint on shoes you know, if I allow myself. Now's the time to learn this kind of stuff. It's not, it's, it's like you don't learn how to swim when you're out there in the ocean and the boat's sinking and suddenly you want to take swimming lessons. Because the boat's going to sink and we need to learn how to function in this day. Are you with me? Am I just messing with you this morning about your money? <laughs> stop, I stopped preaching and going to meddling. All right. No, <laughs> number six. It says, be anxious for nothing. In other words, don't worry. Okay? This is interesting. This, I got this out of this book. This is a survey by the American Medical Association. Now, this is crazy here. It revealed that 90% of the people who worry, worry about things that do not take place 87% of the time. Did you get that? 90% of the people who worry, worry about things that do not take place 87% of the time. So here we are consumed with worry. That's why Paul was saying, don't be anxious. Because 87% of the stuff you're going to be anxious about is not even going to happen. Only 13% of it is, and you can deal with that. So he's saying, that's just a waste of time. So worry is pointless. Worry, worry is really meant to, to consume you. Now, do you know what worry is, stress is? Here's the way it feels to me. I feel this band that comes around my head. That's the way it feels to me. It gets on my head. And then I feel this band around my chest. Okay? That's the way I feel, and I just feel all this stress in me, and then I'm screaming at Becky. I was going to say I was slapping her, but I don't slap her. You know, I'm, I'm, you know she's doing, she'll be doing something, I'm thinking, why is she doing that? I'm just irritated as fire at her, and I'll say something to her, and then she'll say, well, just because you're upset about that doesn't mean you need to start messing with picking on me. You know? So what I, yeah, so what I do is I start this fight over nothing, just the way she's, you know, Talking on the phone, you know. Just some ridiculous, but it's because I'm stressed. 
So you can't worry. This is what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 34. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Sufficient for the day. See, we can't do anything about tomorrow. We're here today. I can't do anything about Monday morning. You know, I can't do a thing about it. So let's, let's really ask the Lord to, you know, empower us. In Christ, we're not going to worry, right? All right? The next thing it says, But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind through Christ. Okay, the, the seventh point is prayer with thanksgiving, not prayer with whining and complaining. Now, I'm a big believer in pouring out your complaint to God. Just getting dirt, down and dirty with God and honest with you. I hate that person, Lord. You know? I mean, I, I'm, a, you know, I'm, I'm mad at you, God. I remember telling God one time, if I said, Lord, I, if you would step down here in the flesh and I had a gun, I would blow your head off. I was so mad at him. God doesn't mind us talking to him like that. He can take it. He's, you know, he's a big God. He wants, to, he wants to, us to get our feelings out on the table so he can talk to us about them. You hear what I'm saying to you? But just constantly, if that's all we do is whine and complain about what we have or what we don't have or what the person next to us has and don't have, something's wrong with that. And it says if we will pray with thanksgiving, because thanksgiving does this. Thanksgiving causes us to focus on God. When you begin to be thankful for the things that God's done for you, all of a sudden you're not focusing on what you don't have. You're focusing on God, and guess what happens to your faith? Your faith is released. Your faith is invigorated. Because no longer you're looking at poor, pitiful me that has no ability to do anything. You're looking at God of, of heaven and earth who created everything, who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. And that's what Thanksgiving does for it. It causes us to focus on God, not on ourselves. And, and, then, and then what happens is God's peace is released to you. You don't have to worry because you have this peace. Everything may be falling apart around you, but there's peace down inside of you. You know deep in your heart everything's going to be fine. Are you with me on that? So, um, number eight. This is cool. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue and if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. In other words, I'll use a, uh, a term everybody understands, think positively, okay? Think about things, what it just listed there. If all you think about is what Dan Rather or CNN says, you are going to be a very messed up human being. Because... Because here's what they say. They talk about the war. Okay? That's what they talk about. All The war, the war, the war. The economy, the economy, the economy. How bad it is. That's, that's, their, that's their whole vision in life is to tell you how bad things are. Tell you how the world's falling apart and give us this hopelessness that we have no hope. Things are really going to be terrible. And if all, and I'm not suggesting we don't listen to the news. I like, I love listening to the news. Actually, I listen to it every night because I like to know what's going on in the world. You know, it's like one person said, he read the newspaper every day, every day of his life. He said, but the reason he read it because he saw it as being how to. It's like a fishing report to him. This is how I'm going to pray. This is how I'm going to fish. This is where people are at. This is their desperation out there in the world. This is what they're worried about. This is what they're concerned about. And it gave this man 
who was a real good evangelist, it gave him ability to know how to go out and reach those people who were living in this, this cesspool of negativism. You see what I'm saying? We really can't just, we've got to be careful what we just listen to all the time and hear because it can drag you down. We really do need to place our mind on things that are right, whatever they are for you. Whatever they are for you, you know, it can be, you know, certainly be the Word of God, be your family, be the wonderful things that God's done in your life. But you know, if we just think on the negative things and just listen to what the world has to say, the world is going to make you hopeless and miserable and your faith will be just destroyed. That's what it's meant for. We've got to understand something. I believe this. I believe a lot of what goes on on TV is definitely demonic-inspired. I believe the enemy uses the news system big time on us to destroy our faith, to pull us down. And I believe what we have to do is we've got to realize when we turn that TV on that the enemy is speaking and speaking to us. And so we have to take everything very careful because a lot of what they say is not even true. It's twisted so much. It really is. And I'm not, you know, I'm not one of these people who don't believe in TV and all that stuff, but I really believe we've got to, got to uh, yeah, Lord, guard our hearts and mind in Christ. I'm not usually talking about stuff like that, but... Verse 10, let's move on. <laughs> well, 9 is just the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. That has talk, That's talking about, really, it's talking about for us, is, you know, what I'm talking to you about. You know, if we'll do these things, God of peace will be with us. Um, verse 10, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now, remember I said the context was money. On the, are y'all Okay. <laughs> But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned, everybody say learned, in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. Okay, uh, I can do all things who through Christ who strengthens me. Now, it is no question that the Apostle Paul, based on his history as a human being, was a very wealthy person because his education under Gamiel, if you go back and study church, or you go back and study history, it took, you didn't, not everybody just got to go sit under this guy. You know, not everybody could just go and be trained like that. Most people couldn't. He was a Roman citizen. He obviously came from a wealthy family who was able to get, let him get the best education of his time, okay? Not like today where they have scholarships and you can borrow, you know, for them to pay back the rest of your life. And poor people can really do good in America. 